Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. It's week two of How to Ruin a Dinner Party, and uh, apparently uh, either you like conflict or you didn't figure out how to tick your family and your neighbors off yet, and so you're back for more. But uh, we want to continue to have uh, just conversations that we think sometimes are overlooked and sometimes uh, don't happen. There, there are topics that culture avoids. There are topics that the church uh, definitely avoids. And we want to be a church that is talking about things that matter. We want to be a church that's talking about things uh, that, that need addressed. And um, our goal is, is not to offend anyone uh, today or uh, in this series. Our goal is not to, to hurt feelings or, or make people feel like we're getting them worked up. But the goal uh, is, is just to talk about topics that, that uh, if we're being honest, sometimes because of family, because of tradition, because of culture, because of different things, we feel like maybe we, we often lose sight of a biblical perspective, a gospel perspective. And so we want to have a conversation today. Uh, th- this conversation is about capitalism. And uh, as, as we talk about this, I want you to know a couple of things up front because even as I say that word, I think it's like, wait, no one's ever said that word in the history of a church. So this is already feeling really awkward, right? Uh, we, I want you to know a couple of things uh, from me. I want you to know um, that, that this, this topic can, can feel really personal because uh, the topic of capitalism connects to our country and we love our country. And so I want you to hear me say this, that, that I love our country too, and I'm grateful uh, for our country. The, the topic of capitalism can also connect to money, and Jesus said it best when he said that our heart and our money are connected. And so uh, this is going to not only connect to our, our, uh, our country, it's going to connect to our emotions a little bit. And I want you to know, uh, again, that we're not here to, to tick anybody off. In fact, uh, as I prepared to, uh, to look at this, I realized that I was having to play devil's advocate because I was ticking myself off about my own life, right? Like I, I would be over here like, hey, Mark, have you considered this? And I'm like, yeah, Mark, but do you know what, what I go through every week, right? And, and I found myself kind of having this, this inner argument. And so uh, I want you to know that uh, the, the goal of this morning is, is not to, uh, to, to get people angry. The goal is to, to look at scripture and say, what does Jesus want for us? And, and is there a way that we've migrated from that uh, in any way? And so as we get started, I want to just uh, define some terms. Uh, I think you uh, probably uh, took eighth grade history, but just in case you didn't, I'm going to tell you what capitalism is again, all right? So uh, capitalism is defined, there's a couple definitions, but one of them is, is an economic and political system in, in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit. Another definition says it's an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods. And there's a couple of words that stand out to me uh, in that right away because uh, some of the things those definitions are centered on are control and ownership. And control and ownership are, are not really inherently bad, but uh, I, I believe that, that most people in the room are probably here because they have an interest in spiritual things. In fact, I would probably say that most of you are interested uh, in, in following Jesus with your lives. You would describe yourselves as Christians, and so you would say, I've surrendered my life to Jesus, right? And so you would say that you've given Jesus control of your life. You've given Jesus ownership of your life. And so you can kind of see how when we find ourselves in a system that's saying, hey, you get control and you get ownership. If we're not careful, that can kind of be a slippery slope and and kind of work against the gospel because we live in a culture that says if you work hard, you deserve more. And not just that you deserve more, but that you should want more. And so the question is, how much money is enough? How much property is enough? How many assets are enough? And when is enough enough? And with progress and with growth, 
comes a love of progress and growth. And we want and we desire more progress and more growth and more money and more capital and more assets. And, and, and like we said, sometimes those, those things teach us that, that we're in control, that we have ownership, that we're doing great things, that we should keep going and, and do more. And we find ourselves in this position where we're struggling to surrender ownership and control to God who we said that we want to follow. We're struggling to surrender control and ownership because we like the feeling of building and having our own empire. And I want you to know out of the gate again that there's nothing wrong with, with making money. There's nothing wrong inherently with, with spending money, with, with saving money. But I want us to, to keep in mind, and we've talked about this many times, I hope that this is in the culture and the DNA of our church, that money is, is, is a tool that God gives us. Money is a tool that God gives us to mold our hearts and shape our hearts and shape our lives. And so the attention should never be on money. And if we think at any time that we control or we own a tool that he has put in our hand, that's where the problem begins. And so I want to take us to scripture today and just talk about this topic. Uh, if you feel convicted, you find yourself mad, I want you to remember that you like me and we're friends and you're actually mad at God, okay? So let's just, let's just say that right off the bat, all right? Uh, but let's go ahead and turn uh, to a passage. If you've got a Bible there, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. There's probably a Bible under your chair, behind your chair around your chair there somewhere. We, uh, we put those here because we want you to read God's word. We value God's word. And if you don't have a copy of scripture, if you don't have that translation, we would love for you to take that home. That's our gift to you because we know that there's value in you reading and studying that throughout the week and investing in your relationship with God. But we, we're gonna be on page 756. If you've got one of those Bibles there, Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 46. And, and just to give you some context again for uh, kind of uh, what I believe is, uh, is the, the, the DNA of who Jesus was as, as he would teach. I, I find that oftentimes he did not fit in man-made systems or, or the systems and the structures that we wanted him to fit in. It feels like when he came and he was a part of this world that, that he was turning the world upside down, right? We said last week that, that we believe when Jesus is inserted into man-made earthly systems, he's not going to be here. He's not going to be here. He's going to kind of be in that radical middle. And so last week's topic was probably a, a taste of that, right? We, we have two, uh, two uh, options right now in America. It's like if you talk about the environment, you're, you're a hippie and you're saying that global warming is happening and this side gets mad. And if you, if you find yourself on this side, then this side is against you. And, and somewhere in the middle, we, we see what Jesus said last week where he just said, hey, I've given you the world, take care of it. Well, this is what Jesus says about money, about possessions, about our natural impulses and, and building our kingdom versus his kingdom. This is the radical middle. This is Matthew chapter 25. It says this in verse 31. But when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Jesus tells this story. And he's talking about what it means to actually have a heart change and be changed by him. When we have a relationship with Jesus, it changes our operating system. It changes our outlook. It changes how we view and interact with the world and how we live on mission. And so he's recounting that at the end of someone's life, we should be able to look at the things that they have done. They're not saved by the things they are done, but if they are a changed person in their heart, the way that they act should look different. And I want us to just see this, that Jesus equated serving or neglecting the poor with serving or neglecting God. Jesus equated serving or neglecting the poor with serving or neglecting God. And so I want to simply ask us today, what are you doing with the platform that God has given you? What are you doing with the life that God has given you? What are you doing with the money that God has given you? The question is not, are you making more of it? The question doesn't really seem to be relevant in this conversation. Now, just for some some context, the the story before this is the parable of the servants, right? Many of you know that story where we're told the story that a a boss goes away, a landowner goes away, and he gives one of his servants uh, $5. He gives another $3, another $1, and he says, multiply this while I'm gone. And and, and some of them put the money in investments, and they multiply that, and they put it to work, and they do things, and one of the servants just buries that money and, and does nothing with it. And so it's not that God doesn't want us to be responsible. It's not that he doesn't want us to multiply those things, but we should multiply things with purpose for our master. And so what are you doing for your master who's entrusted you with money that matters? Are you building your kingdom? Are you building God's kingdom? Are you serving or neglecting people in need that are in your life? people that maybe aren't in your life, people that are detached from you, but how are you serving people with what God has given you? I want to take us to Matthew 19. It's on page 749, verse 16. We want to just continue to look at examples that Jesus gave us. Matthew chapter 19, page 749. I'll read it. It's verse 16 here. It says this. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the son of man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers and sisters or father and mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Jesus is having this, this interaction with a man who struggles with building his, his own kingdom. And we see this simple principle that Jesus taught that money and possessions and success can distract us. Not, not once we get them, sometimes before we get them, right? A couple of, couple of years ago, our family went on vacation and my brother-in-law uh, decided that he was going to bring a friend because everyone else is married and he gets tired of us being old, boring, married people, right? And so he brought this friend and, and they were in college and, and his friend was one of those guys that, uh, you know, if you hadn't blown his knee out, could have been a pro soccer player and he wanted to tell you about that, right? And so this guy, this guy Robbie, is telling us how awesome he was at soccer and, and uh, we're like, tell us more about yourself, Robbie. Tell us, you know, where are you going? What are you majoring in? Why are you doing this? And, and, uh, and Robbie starts telling us about his life and and he, he said this exact sentence. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a lawyer someday. And I'm not picking on lawyers, I promise. But here's what Robbie said. He said, I'm going to be a lawyer because I want to go on the best vacations. I want to I visit the whole world. I want to go on vacations all over the world because that's, that's what I want. That's what's going to make me happy. And uh, I said, okay. All right. You know, I thought he'd say something like, this is what I feel called to do. This is where I'm gifted. We have this family business. But he just said, I want to go on these vacations because that's what makes me happy. And I said, you, uh, what do you think you'll do after those vacations? Like, you know, after you go to Bora Bora, like what, what's next? Or, you know, or what, what do you have? Do you have goals? Do you want to start a non-for-profit? And he, he looked right at me and he said, you act like uh, there's a problem with, with being, being rich. And I said, no, there's no, no problem. And, uh, you know, we started talking and he, uh, he was going to a Christian high school. And this is a guy that, that would have said that he was a Christian and a Christ follower. And he said, you act like it's harder for a rich person to follow Jesus and I said, well, actually, you just quoted Jesus, Robbie. And uh, Robbie didn't like me the rest of the vacation. But uh, I, I just had to tell you that story because Jesus himself said it, right? He didn't say it's a crime to be rich. He didn't say you'll lose your salvation if you build your 401k to a certain point. But he's cautioning us that, that money and possessions and success can, can distract us and, and can get our attention, right? There are people who are working toward having money that are already obsessed with it. There are people who have started making money who are obsessed with it. And there are people who, who have had money for a while and it's had their attention and their focus and their worry in every part of their heart for years. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's a, that's a problem. And so he asks this guy, knowing his heart and knowing his life, he says, walk away from the things that you have and I'll know that your heart is really for me. And this guy says, I can't do that. Well, I don't think it's this one-size-fits-all mentality because we've seen Jesus interact with other people that have money. We saw Jesus interact with a man named Zacchaeus, and he didn't say, get rid of everything you own. He just said, keep your eyes on me. Look to me. Follow me. But for this specific guy, this rich young ruler we call him, Jesus said, I need you to, to vacate all those things because your heart is lost and you're distracted. 
And for some of us, whether we have money or we're working toward money or we hope that we someday get money or we think we might inherit some family money, we're distracted by that and it's got our hearts. And so I want to ask, are you trying to build your kingdom or are you trying to invest in God's kingdom? I want to take us to another passage. This is Luke chapter 14. It's on page 797. Luke chapter 14. Page 797, it says this. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. This sound familiar? Anybody that's had a party recently, right? Your friends just start, start opting out. Verse 21 says this, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For, for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Right, And I think as, as Jesus tells this story, as this story is recounted to us, we see that, that there are many who have been invited into the kingdom of God. There are many who have been invited to follow Jesus who just don't understand and don't want to be at this party, don't want to be a part of the tribe, and don't care about what Jesus is offering. And so this story teaches us that Jesus said the poor and other social outcasts are invited into the kingdom of God. Right? The poor and social outcasts are invited into the kingdom of God. And so let me ask you a question as we talk about building our own kingdom and building our own wealth and accumulating our own things and building this empire. If Jesus says that the poor and the social outcasts have a place in his kingdom, do they have a place in your life? Do they have a place in your life? Do they have a place in your to-do list? Do they have a place in your calendar? Do you ever think about them? This is one of the ones that, that kind of messed with me as I, as I prepared this week. Because if you would ask me, does Jesus care about everyone? I'd say, yeah. Then you'd say, are you a Christ follower? I'd say, yeah. And you'd say, okay, how are you caring about everyone if you're following him, if you're doing what, what he does? And there, there are weeks, there are seasons there are times that if you would see my to-do list and you would see my calendar and you would see the things that I worry about and the things that I let consume me that you would say, yeah, he says he's a Christ follower and might be true. But Jesus has taught us that, that everyone has a place in his kingdom and that we should care for people that, that don't look like us, that don't have what we do, that haven't been a part of a life experience like we've had. And so we have to ask, are we building our kingdom or are we participating in God's kingdom? Let me read you one more passage. This is out of Luke chapter six. It says this, looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. 
Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This isn't a a one-time conversation, but we see time and time again through the teachings and interactions that Jesus had with his disciples and with people who were following him that he was saying, my kingdom and my operating system and my lifestyle and living on mission for me and following me is is different than this world and it's turned upside down. And and so we see that Jesus taught that the values of this world will be turned upside down in his kingdom. The things that that come natural to us, the things that are comfortable to us, the things that we want to do, the things that we think, that's a really good way to spend my time. He's saying, yeah, it's actually the opposite. I know that you want to do it this way, but if, if you're going to be about my business, if you're going to live on mission, it would actually be the complete opposite of what you naturally want to do. I know that you want to accumulate things. I know that you want to think about yourself. I know that you want to be fat and happy right now, but I'm flipping your life and your kingdom and your empire upside down, and I'm saying this is how you can honor me and live for me. So I ask, are you building your kingdom or God's kingdom? When I meet with couples for, for premarital counseling, we, there's always a, a week that we spend talking about money, right? Because there's two reasons that people get divorced. It's sex and money. We also talk about sex. You can ask people that have met with me. It's probably pretty awkward, right? But, but, but most weeks we talk about, we talk about money and things that, that we say that are, uh, did they just cut my mic because I'm awkward? Okay, we'll keep going. Uh, there's a couple things that we say that I think that, that most of us are okay with in talking about money, and, and this is the list that we're okay with, right? We, we say that God, God created work and God values hard work, right? We say that the Bible backs savings. We say that you should keep a budget. We say that you should stay out of debt and you shouldn't co-sign for, for someone else. And those things, those, those things feel comfortable, right? Because they're, they're good and they, they promote hard work and they promote us doing what we can do and, and, and saving and, 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 and eventually having a home and some great things. But here's some things that seem to rattle people. The Bible says that God is the source of everything. And so everything that you have has been given to you by God. It's not yours, it's, it's his. The Bible teaches that giving is essential, right? That might be in a formal way of giving to a church and honoring God with, with a tithe, with a percentage of your income. It also might just be being available to, to, to see what God is, is wanting you to do and, and, and letting the Holy Spirit say, I want you to bless this homeless person today. I want you to, to support this missionary or, or partner with this organization. The Bible teaches that giving is essential, Scripture also tells us that we should be content with where we are and what we have because you have everything that God says that you need right now and he will take care of you. And so you should be content with where you are and what you have. And scripture tells us that we should seek godly counsel and look to others to speak into how we're living. All right, and sometimes if we ask the advice of godly people, they, they, they might tell us that, that we need to settle down or we need to be more others focused and that's, that's not always fun. And so for many of us, we've, we've made this American lifestyle, this capitalistic lifestyle, a God. It's, it's who we are. And we've, we've blurred the lines between living on mission and honoring Jesus and working for his kingdom with working for our kingdom and honoring ourselves and caring about what we can accumulate and what we can do. We take our hard work very serious, and that's good because scripture honors that, but we work hard to the point of taking pride in it and being prideful. We find our identity in our financial picture, 
We find our identity in the things that we've accumulated and we find our identity in our retirement account and we find our identity in where our mortgage is at and how close we are to paying that off and we find security in what we've built for ourselves and we love this feeling of the things that we own and the things that we control and the things that we've accumulated and the things that we've built. I think you, you get the point. We make a God out of our kingdom and our empire and what we've built and what we've done. And we look at others and we think, well, they don't, they don't deserve what I have because they haven't done what I've done. They haven't worked as hard as I've worked. They haven't had the skill set that I've had. They haven't put in the hours that I've put in and they haven't made the miracles happen that I've done. And I deserve this. And yet when we look at scripture, scripture says that everything that we have is from God. Everything that we own is from God and everything that we've accumulated is a gift from God. And that doesn't seem to, to work with me deserving everything that I've got. A couple of years ago, when Stephen Colbert was still doing a, a show called the, the Colbert Report, he, uh, he used to often uh, do this, this tongue-in-cheek character of a modern American evangelical, right? Maybe a, a person that gets villainized now in, in culture a lot, but there were some moments that, that he, would, he would play this character and it would really hit home. And I went back and I watched one of the segments that he did recently, and this is a quote where he was he was pretending to, uh, to be speaking as a, as a modern Christian. And he, he, he went on to basically say that, that he wasn't a fan of the old biblical Jesus because that biblical Jesus would be a liberal Democrat. And so he was, he was saying that we should buy into this more modern Jesus who wants us to succeed and wants us to, to accumulate things and wants us to, to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And so he said this, if this is going to be a Christian nation that doesn't help the poor, either we have to pretend that Jesus was just as selfish as, as we are, or we've got to acknowledge that he commanded us to love the poor and serve the needy without condition. And then we have to admit that we just don't want to do it. He's joking, but he's, he's not joking, right? And I watched that this week and my first instinct was to laugh. And then, and then I thought, wait, is he, is he talking about me? He went on to say that Jesus was misguided and wouldn't understand modern Christianity because he never called for a tax cut of the, the top 2% of the Romans. And so he didn't really get what, what should be happening, right? And he even said that, uh, that Jesus was a, a fan of loving people to the point of self-destruction, right? I mean, this guy loved people so much, he went to a cross. And what's, what's the point in that? He said that we should, we should maybe just alter that and maybe just love people who deserve it. But that's not the, the way that Jesus wanted it to be. That's not the way that Jesus lived. That's not the way that Jesus said it was. We often tell ourselves the Lord helps those who help themselves, right? And yet we're not going to find that anywhere in Scripture. Jesus said, if someone wants your coat, give them your cloak as well. And when Jesus talks about money and accumulation and success and building an empire, he goes way beyond being self-destructive to just flat out denying himself. This is the operating system of Jesus. Jesus taught us to empty ourselves of our love of money and ego and empire and accumulation and kingdom. So why would we, why would we live like him? Because he, he did that and, and we should follow him and feel bad if we don't live exactly like him. No, we should live like that because he modeled that, because he, he did that for you and I. 
read a quote from a pastor this week. He said, people accuse me of going overboard and preparing for my first 10 million years in eternity. In my opinion, people go overboard in worrying about their last 10 years on earth. We're so worried about when we're going to get to retire and what our assets will be and if we'll get to take those vacations. And, and all of that is a blip on the radar of eternity in the kingdom of God. It means nothing. It's, it's more important to us in the kingdom of self. And yet Jesus modeled that he emptied himself. He gave himself. He poured himself out. And to be honest, he was, he was homeless. This is Philippians 2. It says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We live our lives in response to the goodness and the sacrifice and the grace and the love and the selflessness of Jesus. And so our lives and our operating systems and our kingdoms and the things that we're accumulating should look like that. And if we look at the first disciples who followed Jesus, we think that they were some fishermen and he said, hey, follow me. And they said, well, all right, I'm bored and it's not really fishing season. No, no. When those guys dropped their nets and walked away from those things, they were giving up their family business. They were giving up their vocation. They were giving up their financial livelihood and their retirement. They were giving up their relationship with their father who had built that business. They were walking away from everything and they were saying, Lord, my eyes are not on my own wealth, my own stuff, my own kingdom, my own business, my own family. My eyes are on you, Jesus and I'm walking toward you and I will follow you. And somewhere since then, we've kind of lost that. We think that we can have our stuff and we can let our stuff be our Lord and we can still kind of keep one eye on Jesus and and we can track with both. And I want you to know this big idea as we close that Jesus has called us to leave everything, including our worldview, to follow him. And sometimes our, our worldview, we've grown up in a wonderful, free, safe country. Sometimes our worldview gets a little too attached to that. And we learn to make that wonderful, free, safe country into a God. Rather than just being grateful and using it as a way to follow Jesus and honor Jesus, we let it become a distraction. And so I want to ask, have you walked away from everything in your life that is a God? Have you walked away from everything that comes between you and God that can be a distraction? Are your eyes on Jesus? One time I I talked to a pastor and he said that... uh, we should spend as much time on, on how we apply something to our lives as we do just unpacking it. And so I want to offer us an opportunity today. Many of you know that we partner uh, with the YMCA, and we don't just partner with the YMCA because they give us this gym or they let us meet here. And we don't just partner with them because I want a free membership or something like that. We partner with them because we believe in their mission and we believe in what they do. And they're not just a, a gym and swim that's out here in the burbs, but they're all through central Ohio and through Columbus, and they're in the center of the city, and they operate the Van Buren Shell and they invest in families and they invest in families that are down and out and, and that, are, that are struggling. They invest in, in people and love people in a way that I think really syncs up with what Jesus was saying in these passages we looked at today. And so I want to offer us an opportunity 
an opportunity to respond, an opportunity to, to worship, and it's gonna be uh, maybe a, a little uh, forward of me, but I, I want you to know that the Van Buren Shelter every year has a sock drive where they just wanna bless the homeless community in Columbus, and they say if there are going to be men and women and children that are going to be outside and in the elements, we wanna make sure that their feet are warm and that they're, they're ready for the winter, and so every year we've tried to respond and be a part of that sock drive, and every year Central Ohio's uh, YMCA has set a goal And our church alone has surpassed that goal for every YMCA in Central Ohio. And this year, I kind of want to just blow their goal away just to make them really question if they're having faith when they make that goal, right? So uh, you're going to see a a slide come up here of, of, uh, we want to make it as easy as possible for us to to, to really think about this message today and, and just be able to purchase socks and send them to the Van Buren Shelter to love on the homeless community of Columbus. And so uh, if you scan that code, if you have an iPhone and you literally just hold up your camera and take a picture of that symbol, it will take you to a website. Or if you go to our Facebook page, to our Twitter page, we've, we've tweeted out a link, hopefully while you were, were sitting here and, and that's, uh, that's supposed to be working, but there is a link there. You can take a picture of that. It will take you to an Amazon link where you'll just be able to buy socks. And, uh, I want to point out one thing. If, if you feel challenged to purchase those today just for a couple bucks, uh, if you go to that link, it will, it will let you... Um, okay, I've been told the QR down, code is down. All right, go ahead. Go to our Facebook page. Here's a little, uh, a little punt, right? Uh, go to our Facebook page. If you don't follow our Facebook page, shame on you, right? Uh, Facebook.com backslash Movement Columbus. You can search for Movement Church. There's a link there. You can go to uh, this list. And as you buy those socks, you can actually click, click and have them shipped straight to our church office so that you won't have to worry about that. So you won't have to remember to bring them in. You can just buy those and, and have those shipped. But today, as, as we talked about this, we didn't want to just say, hey, we should love on people. Hey, we should take care of other people. Hey, we shouldn't just accumulate things and goods and empires and houses and stuff for ourselves. But we wanted to give you a way to do that. And so I hope that today, in light of the goodness of God, in light of what Jesus has done for you, in light of how he's poured himself out for us, I pray that you'll take this challenge and think about, hey, how can I love someone else? How can I pour myself out? How can I make myself a little bit financially uncomfortable this week? How can I, how can I love others and how can I serve others? And this is a small way. I don't think that, that you're going to save yourself by, by buying six pairs of socks, right? But I think sometimes it's more about getting to our hearts and getting to where our hearts have been. And oftentimes we love ourselves, we love the things that we own, and we love the things that we control. And the only way to combat that is to give up a little control, to give up a little ownership, to release those things and to hold those things with an open hand. And so this is just one example, but maybe you'll have other examples this week of ways that you can love people, ways that you can invest in people, ways that you can build the kingdom of God and not worry so much about the things that you want to own and control. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, God, not because we deserved it, not because we were perfect, but because you loved us. Lord, we thank you for letting us be a part of the kingdom of God. God, it often feels upside down and feels contrary to the things that we do. God, it feels like maybe we, uh, we're, we're too often focused on our own empire. And so, God, we want to just say that, that we are. We, Lord, we want to keep our eyes on you. We want to keep our eyes on the things that you want us to know. And God, we want to be captivated by you. We want to be captivated by your love, captivated by your grace, captivated by relationship, and captivated by your goodness. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll help us as we continue to respond in giving and worship and, and in loving the world around us, those less fortunate and those that we interact with every day. 
God, help us to respond to your goodness by loving this world. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.